Welcome to Two Dope Boys in a Podcast. I'm Phil McKenzie. Michael Brooks. On Point is where we highlight someone getting it right and really excited to be joined in the studio with Lisa Jesse Peterson, who's the author of All Day. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. Now, this book is a, a story that I think many people will not be familiar with. But before we jump into the genesis of All Day and, and why you wrote the book and, and more of the characters and the stories of the book, give us like a little bit of background of what brought you to New York? Because I think your your path to New York and your career prior to writing the book is also a story that not many people are, are used to hearing. So let's why don't we start there? Oh, okay, that's uh, quite a journey. Um, what brought me to New York? Um, I initially came to to model, and uh, so I did the whole you know couture romp, you know from you know, the Champs-Élysées in Paris and Milan and, you know, the tents in, in New York and Fashion Week. And I did that for a while, and that really just wasn't satisfying my spirit. And so that led to acting. And I was always writing, but I never considered myself a writer. You know, I was writing in my journal, writing down my thoughts, um, writing poems, but not considering myself a poet. Just that was my way to kind of... I guess have a conversation with myself and have a conversation with God and just kind of dump all the things that were going on in my spirit and my mind. So I was always writing. And um, so from the modeling led to the acting, and that really opened up um, my voice and having something to say. And so from the, the acting and doing the poetry, I wound up, um, you know, getting involved in the whole um, you know, this group of poets, like amazing group of poets that were around in like the mid-90s, right? And this is, we were doing slam poetry before it was even called slam poetry, right? So we were at the New Yorican and we were just, you know, doing, um, we were just, it kind of, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when when you would have these like hip hop ciphers, you know, and these freestyle freestyle ciphers, and, and you know, you just had all these you know MCs that were just like battling on the corner because they just had that fire in them. And so I was part of that group of poets that we would just get up on stage and we would just you know battle with our poetry because we had something to say and we were we were this family. So I was I was part of that enclave of, of poets coming out of the New York in, in the mid '90s. And um, so that's where I really cut my teeth as a writer. How I wound up at Rikers Island was, you know, being a poet, like, you're not making any money at first, right? And not really even, I mean, it's just hard to make money being a poet. And so you have to find other ways to support yourself. Um, and so this was before Deaf Poetry. So we were really just like doing gigs for like 50 bucks or a meal. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been there. Um, so, yeah, right? Um, so I got hooked up with this nonprofit organization that sent poets out to the different schools in the in the five boroughs to do poetry workshops to be um, like a poet, uh, teaching artist, a poet in residence. And you would go and, you know, it was a great gig because you would go and do like 45-minute poetry workshops with the kids in the schools and all the different grades and all the different boroughs. And you'd be there for like three weeks and then you'd get another assignment at another school. And it was really cool. And so 
um, when I found out about it, I was like, oh, this is great. This is some great income. You know, I was waitressing, and, and then I could do these, you know, teaching artist gigs, you know, teaching poetry, something that I love that's near and dear to my heart. And the first school that I was assigned was a school called Island Academy. Now, in my mind, I really am not thinking that Island Academy it sounds nice. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I thought it was. Indeed. I really did think it was like a school yeah. for gifted kids. Like it was, you know, maybe a private school where they wore uni- uniforms. Well, they right, did right. wear uniforms, but <laughs> of a different type. But a different kind of uniform. Right. And so when I found out that Islands stood for Rikers Island, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to jail to teach poetry. Um, and I was really scared, not scared for my safety, but like, oh my God, these, these are like the roughest of the roughest kids. They're going to probably throw like paper balls at me. They're going to boo me. They're going to like, they're not going to be feeling poetry in my mind. Right. So mm-hmm. I had this pre preconceived notion of, you know, what they would, you know, like and what they would gravitate to and what would resonate with them. So I went and um, I went all armied up. I had on like an army jacket. I had my head wrapped up in like a purple head wrap. You know, I'm like total warriored out. Like, yeah, like don't, you know, don't fuck with me kind of, you know, poetry. Steez. Yeah, we're going to learn some poetry, mm. brothers. And um, <laughs> and it worked. Like, like it was, it was really amazing because the three weeks I was supposed to get assigned to another school because I did the three weeks and it was like, it was amazing. And. You know, the guys they rode and we had great conversations and amazing stuff came out. Now, mind you, this is also, too, my first introduction to the prison industrial complex. I didn't know anything about prison. I didn't know anything about jail. I didn't know the difference between prison and jail. This is all, I'm like like Bambi, like, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, just kind of like going in to teach poetry, you know. And um, I like the way the voice changed <laughs> when the Bambi to the light, I'm, I'm armied up. Yeah, right? You know, because I was just so naive. I was just yeah, right? On the inside, I was Bambi on the inside. Right. Exactly, right? But you kept the same voice. Like, What's the difference between jail and prison? <laughs> exactly, right? You yeah, drop, yeah, drop yeah, some octaves. It, right. And um, <laughs> so, but three weeks turned into three years because the teachers kept passing me around. Like, so I would do one class. And it would be so great. And they were like, oh, my God, we've never seen these guys so engaged and they're writing. What and year is it? This was in 97 or 98. Okay. So this is like the late 90s. So they, so all the teachers kept passing me around. So I literally became the poet in residence at Rikers Island. Like, you know, the company I work for, the nonprofit, they were just like, okay, that's your school. You know, we don't have to worry about you. That's where you're going to be. You don't, right. you don't have to go to any other school. And so that was my introduction to the population, working with kids, um, incarcer- working with incarcerated kids, teaching poetry. Um, and there was something that happened. Like, I, that's where I got my education. You know, I cut my teeth in terms of my, my uh, political activism as far as it relates to mass incarceration. Mass incarceration was not even a word. Right in ninety seven, ninety eight, nobody was saying mass incarceration or prison industrial complex. Well, it wasn't in the zeitgeist. There was no Michelle Alexander's book yet. Right, there was nothing really out there unless you were really, really deep in the trenches, like in the underground, you know, circles and ciphers of you know activists, which I was not. So, yeah, that was my, that. That was, I think that's what you asked me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but but I think that's. That's instructional in the sense that it it gives this idea of such change, mm-hmm. you know, to have gone from a a modeling career, which what what I really centered on was that it wasn't 
fulfilling not at all your spirit was, uh, it was so it was so corny being a model is well, okay for me <laughs> nah, you don't have to. Good. You know, for <laughs> no, me, no, I, I like, I like, uh, I like where you were going. I'm like reverse eye statements. I like general statements. You about to say it was corny. There's more we could, we yeah, could work with corny, that. You know, being a model is corny. That's the tweet for the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so superficial. Yeah. It's so shallow. It's yeah. so you know just based on exterior and somebody else's idea of beauty standards. Like I mean, the shit I heard and I was told when I was going on auditions was just outrageous. I mean, you know, you really have to have a strong constitution, yeah. you know, and you know you have to giggle and all that shit. You know what I mean? Like giggle when you don't want to giggle, right. <laughs> you know. And I was just like, oh my god! Like in my mind, I wanted to be Naomi Campbell because I I think Naomi Campbell is like one of like the baddest. You yeah. know, catwalk divas on the planet, and I was like, if I if I can get to that level, I'll do this shit. But I wasn't at that level, like you know what I mean. So I'm yeah. like, what am I doing? This is not my dream. This is not my passion. You know, the fantasy is to be like on the level of Naomi Campbell, but you know, the dudes you have to pay and the giggling you have to do. <laughs> I was yeah. willing to. How is the giggling level on this show? Are you cool. Oh well, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a real no, laugh. no, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. Laugh. See, 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 yeah. see, I, that's, that's I have like I have laugh. like a saloon gut yeah, bucket laugh. Yes, you know yes, what I mean? Yes, Giggling yes. Is, <laughs> 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 that don't laugh. Don't, 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 don't impersonate. I'm from West Philly. I'm like fucking giggle. Don't you know imp- what I mean? Don't impersonate. Pass the like the red cup. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 it was like, wait, wait, wait! I want to get all right. Let's get back to Rikers though, because what, from the perspective of you, like it connected and it clicked and it worked. But what happened with them that everybody was like, "All right, you're the woman for this job." Like, what happened in those classrooms? Um, you know, like okay, so like the kids were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds, right? Okay. Adolescent boys, right? And um, I think what it was, I was bringing. I wasn't bringing flowery poetry. I was bringing Mary Baraka, Sonia Sanchez, Asha Bendeli. Like, you know, I was bringing, you know, June Jordan. I was bringing, you know, Gwendolyn Brooks and The Last Poets. So I was bringing in some, like, heavy hitters that were really talking and addressing um, culture and revolution. And because that's who I am anyway. So I think that they gravitated to the rebellion in me the rebellion in them gravitated to to rebelliousness in me and when i started learning actually that first year it was a correctional officer and he said to me because i had never been in prison or jail and i'm seeing the same faces and i I knew something wasn't right i I was like this is like a weird kind of thing i'm just seeing like black faces and black and brown Latino boys. I'm like, I can count the white boys on my hand and have fingers left over. And that was like, after a year, it was like, I was like, something is not right. I know it was an altered reality, but I didn't have the language because I didn't know really, I didn't have the information. And it was a correctional officer. He pulled me, he goes, I, I was like, what? I said, what is this all about? He was like, oh, you don't know where you are, do you? I was really like having like a Dorothy and you know, Wizard of Oz moment. He was like, you don't know where you are, do you? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, you're on the plantation. You didn't know that you're on the plantation? And I said, what? He says, oh, yeah. He says, and he pointed to the boys. He goes, and that's the cotton. That's the crops. And I, and I, I guess the shocked look on my face. And he says, 
he says, when you go home, he goes, put prison industrial complex in the computer and then come back and talk to me tomorrow. And I did. And it was just such a rabbit hole of information. So now I'm like getting all this information. I'm all fired up. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe where I'm at. I can't believe what's happening to our people. I can't believe that I'm just learning about this and nobody's really talking about it. And who's ringing the alarm? And so I would get this information and I'll bring it back to the class, to the boys. I was like, do y'all know what the fuck is going on? And they were like, and so I had this fire and this passion, this kind of rage against the machine. And they were like, yo, she dropping that shit. You know what I mean? So there was that respect level because I was bringing something so unfiltered and so just real and raw that we just connected. So, you know, it was like, yeah, we're going to get to the poetry, but let's have a cipher, you know, on white supremacy and racism and this prison industrial complex and how it's a trap and how, you know, y'all are on the corner, but y'all are just pawns on the chessboard and let's look at the whole chessboard. And they were like, yo, she kicking that shit. And so I think that had a lot to do with the resonance between us. You know, you spent time on on Rikers, you know, and and Rikers to a New Yorker, like we were talking off mic, is one of those places, you know, I grew up in in the 80s and 90s, um, came of age, you know, I graduated from high school in 1990, which I always use it as this sort of demarcation line because the year I graduated from high school was also the highest year of murders on record Mm. in New York City. So part of part of my decision to leave New York and go to college was this idea of New York is completely untenable as a place to come of age as a 17 year old. So I, I, I felt beyond going and getting education and all the stuff that was really important to me was that leaving New York was also a way of like saving my life. Right. You know, and and Rikers is one of those places growing up where it was this like cautionary tale that, you know, no matter what you do, you don't want to end up on, on Rikers. And so when I read the book and, and I'm hearing these stories, I think what you did that was incredible is not done enough is that you, you humanized a lot of, a lot of the, the young men, the young boys that are there in the sense that many people, you know, we all know what people think of prisoners that, you know, we've heard it a million times. Well, if you did some, you had to do something, you know, to get there. And in some cases that that may or may not be the case. But you walk through these circumstances that a lot of these boys found themselves in. So kind of tell us a, a little bit of how you started to pull those those stories out as you spent time with these young men. You know, it was interesting because, you know, for me, when I looked at my students, um, I didn't see and still don't see when I go to write because I don't see an inmate. I don't see a booking case number. I see that looks like my cousin. <laughs> that looks like my nephew. That looks like he could be my son, right? So I'm seeing extensions of myself. I'm seeing extensions of my family. So it it's this real kind of subtextual thing that happens and they see me and you know how I how I move and how I talk and I'm somebody in their family I'm like you know their auntie or I'm like their you know big sister or they remind me their cousin Cheryl or you know what I mean so there's this kind of family thing that this recognition, you know, when they say kids say real, recognize real. So there's something real familiar 
that we both recognize in each other. So I think that that had, you know, has a lot um, to do with how I perceive them. And, um, you know, humanizing them, I mean, that was instinctual. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something I had to try to do because that's my family. These are, these are my sons, these are my nephews, and, you know, yeah, they bad as shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but you know what's so interesting? See, and, and, and this is so true, and I found this out through teaching, f teaching adolescents, and I was a wild teenager. When I tell you I was wild, and I would tell the girls, because I worked with the adolescent girls at Rikers, too, at Rosam Singer. And I said, the difference between me and you, I said, you got caught. I didn't get caught. I said, because I could easily be sitting where you're sitting. And so I know that adolescence is a natural developmental stage of temporary insanity. All teenagers are insane. It's true. I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, you know, alien. If you are a teenager for a small period of time, you're going to go through insanity. And so it's a developmental stage where the prefrontal cortex in their brain is still developing. So that means that they're testing boundaries. That means that, you know, they're, they don't have um, impulse control. Very similar, like, and you know, this is all like technical shit, but like, okay, it's called individuation separation, right? So individuation separation, the first phase, we go through it twice in our life. The first phase is the terrible twos when you're two-year-old, right? The terrible twos, no, 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 no. And the two-year-old is trying to develop their independence, right? And they don't want to be near mommy and daddy. They want to do things on their own. And the next minute they want to hug mommy and daddy, but they're trying to develop their independence. The second phase is the adolescent years, the terrible teens. So you go through terrible twos and the terrible teens. And so it's just interesting that this natural stage of development is criminalized for black and Latino youth. Right. Right. I'm not saying that they need to be coddled. No, you're doing some badass shit. So, yeah, there needs to be some consequences. But you have to be criminalized and have a felony for the rest of your life and go to jail for 15 years. You didn't kill anybody. Like, I'm, I'm dealing with a situation now where this kid is looking at 15 years, never got in trouble, didn't kill anybody, didn't assault anybody. You know, and I'm just saying, if this kid was white, he would be home. He will be home. You know, so um, it's just interesting how there's such a... This really um, infuriating double standard for, um, you know, black and Latino and youth of color versus, you know, you know, white kids who are just as wild and bad and testing boundaries and, you know, challenging authority and just doing crazy shit like the teenagers do. Like I said, if, if I was a teenager now, I would probably be at Rose M. Singer. If I was a teenager now, because I was wild, I was loud, I was obnoxious, I was narcissistic, I was materialistic. Why do you keep talking about me? <laughs> Some of us have not outgrown that state. <laughs> uh, it's getting shut down. What do you think? I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I do. Um, I think it's a good thing because, well, it needs to be shut down because it's really forcing people to reimagine a city without a massive penal colony. Right. 
So, uh-oh, now we have to think about alternatives in a real way. God forbid. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now we have to, okay, where do these resources go? So I'm hoping that this is an opportunity for resources to go back into the community for community building. There are organizations now that are doing fantastic work, but they don't have the resources. So now maybe with the closing, there will be more focus on people who are already on the ground. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Let's re, let, let's re, re-examine and get rid of this um Money bail system. Most of the people are, or, who are incarcerated at Rikers Island are there because they can't afford bail. Right. Like that's ridiculous. That's feudalism. I yeah. mean, that's that's not exactly. even exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? So now something that was like maybe talked in you know small community activist circles is now in the zeitgeist, and so you have everybody from the mayor and you know just regular citizens talking about, ooh, closing Rikers, closing Rikers. What does that mean? What does that mean? So now it's in the zeitgeist. So maybe now it's starting to, you know, shift people's consciousness and perspective of what would New York look like without Rikers Island. So now we're tapping into the imagination. Now maybe we'll have more focus on community-based organizations and really supporting um, the communities. And maybe create, you know, um, communities where we can do more preventative work and more healing work and more holistic work and work that really heal the community and strengthen the community and strengthen people and families as opposed to just tearing them apart. Tearing them apart like like they're disposable, yeah. like like just you know, like an old pair of flip flops. Like oh, we don't need you, like. These are human beings. And, you know, we, we, we talk about these numbers and statistics. And every number is an actual person with a heartbeat and a family. So, you know, yeah, the numbers are important, but fuck the numbers. That's, that's, like that number is somebody attached to that number, to that statistic, 80%. Okay, yeah, 80%. Oh, my God. There's and each one, that one, two, three, four, five, up to 80, that's somebody. A human being that has a family, that has a mother, that has a father, that has, you know, maybe children and, and a community. So, I don't know. I got off. I don't know. What would you ask me? No, no that's perfect. The I la- think that's perfect way to do it, you know, and bringing just, it back. And real quick, before we wrap, what's next for you? What are the next moves? Um, What's next for me? Um, Well, my play, you know, my whole life right now is just so, <laughs> well, my creative life. My creative life is so entrenched in um, addressing the prison industrial complex and, and um, you know, dishumanizing um, the people who are behind the wall and the families and the people who support the people behind the wall. So I have a one-woman show called The Peculiar Patriot, and it addresses mass incarceration. It's a one-woman show. So I'm in rehearsal for that. It's going up in September... And then, oh, I guess I can say it now because by then it'll be, by the time this comes out, it'll be like maybe public at the National Black Theater. So um, I'm excited about that. And, um, yeah, you know, I got book two cooking. Okay. Nice. All right. Got to come back on for book two. And this is book one. So I want, I'm going to read. This is my first book. Yeah. When, when I started the show, I only read the main title, The All Day. But I think it's important. So I'm going to do the, take the time now as we close out to read the full title because I think it gives a lot more heft and heart 
to this story and, and their amazing stories within the book so again we want to thank you so much for coming on the show with us and again the book full title mm-hmm. i'm gonna read it it's right here in my hand all day a year of love and survival teaching incarcerated kids at rikers island and lisa jesse peterson thank you so much for coming on with thank us. you this is fun <laughs> that was our on point we'll see you for more dope boys on tuesday <laughs>